Hey, so I'm sure that you are all enjoying standard time as well as I am. Got up extra early this morning to see the light kind of coming out earlier. That should last about another three days, and uh, and it's just kind of dark for a while. Anyways, Um, yeah, (coughs) yeah, let's see. Hey, I just, I just wanted to share one little compliment, if I could. It's good to share compliments. I, um, every month I meet uh, with the board of what's called CFI, Community of Faith International. And those are the guys who oversee our three local churches here. It's the harbor. It's the church that we were sent from, Community of Faith. And now another church that has just been uh, planted called The River. And they totally copied us on that one, just so you know, because our name is so cool. And the idea was so cool. But we got together, and uh, we're just sharing, and, um, you know, I just, as I was in the meeting, I just, like, face after face of yours was going through my mind, and as I thought of your face, yes, you, 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 I just thought, I am so privileged to walk with these people here at the harbor. The caliber of people that you are, your hunger for God, and us living life together, Loving God together, proclaiming Jesus together is getting really fun for me. And so I just wanted to pass that on, that, that just so you know, um, I think about you often, and I love you, and we on staff, we love you. And, um, uh, you know, I had someone say to me who hadn't been here for a few weeks in a row this week, you know, I said, hey, where you been? You know, I just want you to know we love you. <laughs> just, you know, I'm not, I'm not here taking attendance, but I just am sad that we haven't seen you for a while. And he, his, his comment was, I didn't even know that you would note my absence, you know? And I was like, dude, absolutely. I mean, listen, I, you know, I, I can pretty quickly ascertain, believe it or not, maybe it's just teacher training, but like who's here and who's not, although I never had a class of 200. They're more like 30. But um, I just, I, we, we love you. I just have to say on behalf of the staff, we love you and we love walking with you and it's just getting really good what's going on here. And a lot of it's because you guys are such high quality. So pat yourself on the back and say, I'm high quality. There you go. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Well, we have lately been talking about some pretty awesome stuff. You know, we've been, um, in the last couple of weeks especially, we've been, you know, a lot of the vocabulary that's been coming from up here has been about the supernatural, right? We've been hungry for healings, and uh, we've been asking God, you know, hey, what are you doing with signs and wonders and all this stuff? And uh, it's all very good. It's all very good. Then I got stopped in my tracks this week, actually, by a letter that Kelsey and I read together. Because <clears throat> I noticed that, you know, sometimes when I get really passionate, again, this is not a bad thing, when I get passionate for a lot of the supernatural, what can happen is sometimes my taste for the small or the hidden is lost. And so Kelsey and I and JD were at, the, at our dinner table this week, and uh, we get a letter once a month from an organization called Young Life. This is actually how my wife and I met, was doing Young Life. And the letter always has a testimonial. And as Kelsey started to read this letter, she began to cry. And then I began to cry as she read it. I then read this letter again later to a friend, one of you who I was with, and I started to cry as I was reading it to you in the car. You know who you are. I don't think I'll cry right now because I've cried too much about it. <laughs> but I just want you to hear it. October 2010. This is from Denny Rydberg, the president of Young Life. Dear friend, best day slash worst day. Young Life leaders often toss those four words to kids, and kids know exactly what to do. They toss back personal stories, recapping favorite memories, and possibly 
a few that aren't so pleasant. It can make for a fun and sometimes tender volley. But when a leader named Morgan served those words to a kid named Robbie this summer, Robbie let the words fall flat. As far as he could remember, Robbie hadn't had a best day in 13 years. And his worst day was the day he was born. That was the day Robbie was diagnosed with a debilitating disease that would eventually confine him to a wheelchair and land him in a group home. Best day slash worst day? Robbie had nothing to say. Then Morgan, the leader, tossed four new words to Bobby. Ropes course slash zipline. In August, Morgan took the money he had earned umpiring Little League baseball games and paid for Robbie to go to Young Life Camp. At camp, Morgan strapped Robbie to his back and carried him through the ropes course, buckling him into the zip line at the end. Those few moments of flying through the air quickly became the best day on record for Bobby. Excuse me, Robbie. It was his first taste of freedom, and it came courtesy of an umpire who was beginning to look a lot like Jesus and feel like a trusted friend. Robbie couldn't stop talking about his best day on the bus ride home. Kelsey was weeping. I was tearing up. Because one thing that we had neglected in our great zeal for the supernatural and the things of God was the elements of what is the discipline of service. The discipline of service. Everyone say service. And when I think of service, I think of three words. I think small, I think hidden, and I think free. And I want to explain those to you right now. We're going to explain them through the rest of this evening. Small. You see, when we are in touch with the discipline of service, we're okay with doing a small thing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be, hey, I left my job to go plant a church. Isn't that glorious? It's big. Service says I can do a small thing, like use money that I've earned to pay for a disabled person to go to camp. <laughs> the this, the uh, discipline of service says hidden. Everyone say hidden. I can do a hidden thing. In other words, it might be something that no one else is going to see or know about, but I'm still going to do it unto God and for his glory and to help someone else. Service is often hidden. And it's something that, it deals such a blow to our flesh when we are doing something that's hidden or anonymous. It's wonderful. And the other word that I share, that I think about when I think about the disciplined service is the word free. And the idea there is that we are free to give and not have anyone or anything reciprocate. You know, this leader, Morgan, there's no way that he was going to get back from Robbie a similar thing. But he gave freely to this kid, knowing that there's no way that Robbie could pay him back. Small, hidden, free, this is what is involved with the discipline of service. Now, don't get me wrong. In the kingdom of God, it's always a both and. So I can tell you that we are going to be pursuing the supernatural, words of knowledge, healings, and miracles. I want to get after them because I see them in the Bible. I'm not going to stop. But we do that without neglecting the discipline of service, which finds its joy in the small, the hidden, and doing things freely. Are you with me? Okay, you following this? It's going to be good. Now, if you're like me, though, what happens is I get after the great things of God, or I get... I'm preoccupied with myself, which often I think is a great thing of God. And what happens is I lose track of this discipline of service. 
The good news is that the word of God has an antidote for us, and we find it in John 13. If you would turn to John 13, we're going to read 1 through 17 together. See what Jesus has to say about service. John 13, 1 to 17. There are Bibles in the pew in front of you if you want to grab those. Otherwise, you can, some of the verses will be on the screen. <coughs> John 13, I'm going to start with verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Now, if that's not a newspaper headline, I don't know what is. What's coming next is going to be really good, right? He said he's about to show them the full extent of his love. So let's all kind of eyes open, ears open. God, what are you saying to us tonight? Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. Let's see, how did he do it? The evening meal was being served. And just as a note, scholars kind of disagree about whether this was the night before Passover, it actually was Passover. There are some who say that a little kind of difference between the Pharisees and Sadducees, two sects of Jewish leaders actually were off by one day on their calendar. You know, they just kind of celebrated things differently. But we'll let the scholars debate that. Whether you see this happening at, at, at the Last Supper or the night before, as John says, is up to you. And there's plenty of resources you can find to solve that in your own heart. But regardless of when it is, it says the evening meal is being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Now get this, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come, come from God and was returning to God. Now I want to stop there before we get to kind of the part that you know is coming, and say one thing that I find so remarkable about Jesus here is that he's very secure in who he is and what he's doing. And I would suggest to you and me tonight that if we are going to serve with clean hearts, if we're going to cultivate this discipline of service, which we're after, by the way, a transformation. We don't want to just do service things. Like we don't want to just show up in two Saturdays from now and just serve a manual and check that off our list. We're trying to get transformed so that we're servant people all the time in every situation. And if that's going to happen, if we're going to become servant people like Jesus, we need to be secure in who we are and kind of who we're called to be. Because otherwise what happens is our service becomes very self-righteous and actually it can become self-serving when we think we're serving. And here's what I mean. Self-righteous service often originates in human effort and often is accompanied by a lot of activity and busyness and wow, let's get this done. We're going to serve. Woo! Right? As opposed to true service, which is born out of like the whisper of God, right? God's speaking to you. Hey, maybe you could serve this way. Self-righteous service is always impressed with the big deal. It's got to be a big thing. I've got to serve in a big way. And that's what counts, right? Whereas true service is indiscriminate about whether it's big or not. The issue is, is it a need, right? Should I preach 
Or should I scrub the toilet? Well, it doesn't really matter. What matters is what's needed right now, what's important for the church or whatever the situation is. Big or small isn't the issue. It's what is needed. Self-righteous service requires external rewards or reciprocation, right? I'll do this, but people better notice that I'm scrubbing the toilets for the church. Oh, they better see that I brought the bagels, which is about as far from Doug Lindland's heart as, as ever. Doug Lindland is kind of the poster child for service. I don't want to give him a big ego here, but he brings our food all the time, and he is a servant. He has got a servant's heart. Self-righteous service picks whom to serve, right? Oh, let me serve this person because they're kind of high up. They'll notice me. I can move up. Whereas true service, whether it's the homeless man here or it's the CEO, you're serving. And I really do give both extremes because we serve true service because it's the heart of God. We speak the truth in love to the CEO who otherwise you might be kind of insecure around, but it's the same heart of service, true service. Self-righteous service is easily affected by moods and whims instead of just letting the discipline of service manage your emotions, right? It needs to get done. Listen, we don't have a dishwasher in our house, so Kelsey and I do a lot of dishes. And if we just served each other because of our emotions, we'd have a pile of dishes like filling up that whole kitchen. But there's just something in both of us that says, hey, your turn or my turn. We just got to get this done. Self-righteous service is temporary. In other words, it just performs at the moment like i shared earlier it just it doesn't it's not about being transformed into a person who serves it's just i'll just serve at this thing and then i'm done right and self-righteous service finally is can be really insensitive in the sense that it demands that it serves in this certain way right sometimes we say well this is my gifting this is my calling and gosh darn it i'm going to serve this way do you know that true service sometimes waits and listens it says, okay, when is what I have needed? You know, it's not demanding, pushing its way in, but it's waiting, saying, okay, what is really needed and when? So Jesus was really secure with where he was going. And so the service that he was about to render came out of a really pure heart. And that's the model for you and me, that we get secure in who we are so that our service is true and not self-righteous. Okay, now for the next part, I'm going to need you, some of you, have a vinyl. If you're, if, you're, if you're allergic to latex, you don't have to worry. If you're allergic to vinyl, don't touch this thing. You got a vinyl glove there? Why don't you put that on? Let's left hand it. A little Michael Jackson. <laughs> okay. If you got a glove there, put that on your left hand. <laughs> if you're sitting next to someone and you think they really need to pay attention to this message, you give it to them. Say, hey, brother, you need to serve more. Get on this glove. Excuse me. Sorry. Okay, you got your glove on? Sorry, I know the back. Oh, 10 rows. I <laughs> don't have them. Sorry. <clears throat> Come to church earlier next time, all right? <clears throat> okay, follow with me now, verse 4. So, Jesus, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
Now, of course, most of us have been in church so long that the minute that we bring up like a towel and a basin up here, it's kind of like the cross. It's like, ooh, it looks so pretty and it's gold. But of course, like the equivalent is like, hey, if we threw up an electric chair on the back wall, that would maybe hit the point a little bit better. You know, if, we, if I threw up a lethal injection there on the wall, you kind of get the point of the cross, right? It's this instrument of torture and death. Likewise, if I put a towel and basin here, we just think, ooh, that's really cool. So I decided to give you a glove. Decided to put up a toilet plunger here, okay? Because I, I would say that if Jesus were here today, he might say, hey, he'd knock on your door and he'd say, hey, do you mind if I clean your toilet today? Would that be okay? I'd like to do that. Let me. The king of kings, the Lord of the universe would come and say, hey, let me clean your toilet. And let's picture what's going on here with the disciples. We know the other gospels tell us that just a little while earlier, they were fighting over what? Who was the greatest, right? They're like, hey, he spends more time with me. I think Jesus likes me better. Hey, I went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Where were you? You know, I'm greater. That was their conversation. So they arrive at Jerusalem, and it's, it's the night of the Passover the night before, and their feet are all really dirty, and it's just customary that when they sit down for this meal, someone has got to wash the feet. The problem is that if someone was going to wash their feet, it would be an admission of, hey, I'm the least. And they've just been fighting about who's the greatest. So who's going to say, hey, I'm actually the least? No one moves. And so we get to verses 4 and 5. Jesus moves, takes off his outer clothing, and does the work of a servant, of a slave. That was servant labor, slave labor, to wash the feet of the guests. In this marvelous act, Jesus redefines greatness. He reinvents leadership, and he reframes spiritual authority washing their dirty feet. So whether you have a glove on your left hand or not, I just want you to hold up your left hand, okay? And we're just going to say a few things here, right? Point to your thumb and just say service. Okay, point to your pointy finger and say small. Point to your middle finger and say hidden. Point to your ring finger and say free. Point to your pinky finger and say yes. Okay, small, hidden, and free. All right? Real service is small, hidden, and free. It doesn't have to be the big thing. No one has to see it. And you are free to not have people serve you back. That's what real service looks like. Now, we have all sorts of funny responses to it. So we shouldn't be too blown away by this little conversation that now happens between Jesus and Peter. Let's read it. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Verse 8, no, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Let's pause right there and say, often we have the same response, right? And um, actually, let me say two things here. The first is, the other beginning of any real service that comes out of you and me has to be us allowing the king of kings to wash our toilet to serve us at the end of this message we're going to begin worship by taking communion together will you let jesus serve you during communion it's it's what he would want right he he let his body be broken for you he let his blood be shed for us that's how jesus begins his service to us Let him wash you. Don't be like Peter and go to this end of the spectrum saying, no way. Say, yes, Lord. 
Because unless God gets a hold of your heart, unless you receive what Jesus has done for you, your service won't be real, true, and genuine. Now Peter goes to the other end. Watch this, verse 9. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Verse 10, Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Peter kind of swung back to this other side. You know, the big, hey, wash all of me, right? And Jesus is like, hey, you don't have to do all that, right? Just small, hidden, and free, just like I'm doing for you. Small deed, right? Jesus was doing, he's not yet dying on the cross. He's just washing their feet. It's hidden. Jesus isn't doing it in front of the whole crowd. He's just doing it among his friends. And Jesus did it, obviously knowing that none of them would repay back to him what he was giving them. Small, hidden, and free. And let's listen to the teacher as he teaches us tonight, as he continues. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes (laughs) and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So notice that Jesus doesn't abolish all spiritual authority. He doesn't just say, hey, all spiritual authority, we're just all this level playing field now. He's very okay with the fact that he's still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I think he's also okay with the fact that some of his disciples have more spiritual authority than others, right? Peter is going to be the rock on whom he builds the church. James and John were pretty intimate with him, more so than the others. But the issue isn't what is the spiritual authority that you have or don't have, right? It doesn't matter where you are in any sort of pecking order you may see yourself in. The issue is we are all called, great and small, We are all called to wash one another's feet. We are all called to serve in ways that are small, hidden, and with a free heart. And that's what Jesus was doing, and it is awesome. And I just love those. The the words in verse 17 are so important for our church, right? Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Because if there's any lack on my part, and I'd say if there's any lack on the harbor's part, if there's any lack on the church in North America's part, it's that we know a lot, but we do little. And so it's time for us as a church to start to do. And I want to do. I just want you to know this whole message convicts the heck out of me because I need to serve with a good heart in hidden ways. I'm excited to do it. So I don't know about you, but I I get a message like this, and then I go, awesome, yes, let me be transformed. I want to serve. But how does this work in the day-to-day? Can you just give me a little bit of shape here? Like, show me what this could look like in the day-to-day. So I'd like to share some ideas from you, for you, excuse me, that come from Richard Foster. Again, this book we've kind of been basing this series on called Celebration of Discipline. And he talks about nine possible services that you can render. So as we're being transformed, here's nine possible ways you can start thinking about your service and serving in ways that are small, that are hidden, and that are free, like you having a free heart, okay? Well, the first one actually is the service of hiddenness, doing things in secret. Kelsey and I love it. 
you know, we've had multiple times people have left things on our doorsteps, like gift certificates and flowers. I'm not saying this so that we get more. I'm just saying that <laughs> those people who gave, they are blessed because they did it anonymously. We have no idea who does it. And it's wonderful. And it's so fun. And it deals such a blow to your flesh and your pride when you do something anonymously in, in hiddenness. Try it once. Serve your roommate. Do the toilet, like, without them asking. Watch what happens. Watch how the kingdom of heaven shows up in your apartment in a glorious way. Another thing is the service of helpfulness in small things. And I think our church is getting pretty good at this. The service of helpfulness in small things. I'm just going to read a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. His book, Life Together, talks about Christian community. And he says this. He says, Another service that one should perform for another in Christian community is that of active helpfulness. This means, initially, simple assistance in trifling external matters. There is a multitude of these things wherever people live together. Nobody is too good for the meanest, meaning lowliest, service. One who worries about the loss of time that such petty outward acts of helpfulness entail is usually taking the importance of his own career too solemnly. Can anyone say, sorry, is it just me? It hits me here. Ah, wow, I don't have time for that. I'm so glad I got a text last night from a brother saying, hey, I need to borrow the church chairs. Sadly, we couldn't get to them at that moment. I'm very sorry. But I love that, that we're in community. We should be asking each other for church chairs. We should be asking each other for rides to the airport. We should be asking each other for this and that. I actually love it. I, had, <laughs> I just love it when people ask me for rides to the airport. I can't always do it, but I was really blessed that someone felt that free to go, so to speak, right to the top and ask for a ride to the airport. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> it's awesome. And I'll never be beyond bringing you to the airport. I hope as long as we're just a one-car family, so we'll try to do it, but can't always do it. <clears throat> Amen. I'm so glad. Oh, that's, uh, I don't need that example. Okay, cool. <clears throat> Another service that we do is the service of, ooh, guarding the reputations of others. Because if we don't get good at this right now, I'm going to tell you it will poison this church, it will destroy the church if we don't figure out how to not gossip. And if we don't figure out real quick, if someone comes to me and starts complaining to me about Pastor John, I'm going to stop them right there and say, hey, if you've got a problem with Pastor John, you go to Pastor John. And that hasn't happened because Pastor John's a good pastor. But should it happen... I'd say, hey, I don't want to hear this right now. You go to him if you've got a gripe. I'm going to guard his reputation. Frankly, he's a good friend, a good brother, and a good pastor. All right? And we need to do that with each other. Okay? We need to guard each other's reputation. I'm sure you know 10 things that I've done wrong. I'm sure you know 30 things that of how I've sinned. Awesome. Tell me. But don't tell 30 other people about it. You know? Let's... Are you guys with me on this? Come on. Otherwise, we get destroyed, and we just allow the destroyer to eat us from the inside out. So let's guard each other's reputations. Titus 3.2 says, speak evil of no one. Let us learn to hold our tongue. You don't have to say that little piece of information that you could slip in the conversation and make it seem like you know a little more by putting someone else down. Don't do it. It's a destroyer. We serve each other by allowing ourselves to be served. Ooh, right? Sometimes people offer babysitting to us. And I say, thank you. And, and we just try to say, amen, sorry, you know, we're, thank you for doing that. And what's hard for Kelsey and I is to not feel indebted. But this is what this is about, is letting people serve you and not feel indebted, you know? Let them buy you lunch. Amen. I love when people do that, you know? Let them buy you coffee. I love doing it. Let's just enjoy being served. 
Because, of course, it's what we're celebrating tonight with communion, the fact that we must be served by Jesus. Another one, the service of common courtesy. There's a service in common courtesy. (coughs) Hello, goodbye, thank you, please. These go a long way. And it's actually amazing to me how in this region of the country, absent they are. I've just made a fun little project of our office is in the coming center now. Well, when we show up on a weekday, there's about four to 5,000 other people in that building. So what I love doing when I walk through the hallways, I just love saying, hello, good morning, just to see what happens. And you know, it's amazing. Three out of four people actually respond. One in four don't, and they just kind of, you know, it's crazy. But I guarantee that if we can start just showing common courtesy to people, it goes a long way. I'm actually really looking forward to sometime down the road when the harbor somehow serves the coming center in some way, there's going to be people that I already know just because I said two syllables, one word. Everyone say it together. Hello. That's all I said. Hello. And like we have a relationship now, right? Because no one else says hello to them. So it's crazy because people are too busy or they're too self-focused or they feel bad about themselves too. That's why they don't say hi back. Little common courtesy. The other thing about common courtesy is it's the way that I start with a lot of the supernatural stuff, right? I was just at a coffee shop in Manchester the other day. I didn't have this whole glorious revelation of what I wanted to see happen in the coffee shop in terms of the miraculous. But I decided maybe I'll just start by saying hello to the person who's about to serve me. And that's what we just did. Hey, how are you? Good. I happen to like the fact that they, um, they painted their wall with that chalkboard paint. So now they have, you know, their whole wall is a chalkboard. So I said, I like your chalkboard paint. Where'd you get it? That's fun. Good, you know. And then I recognized another employee there because he used to work at Panera. And I did this. I forgot his name. But instead of just not saying anything, I said, hey, I remember you from Panera. Can you just remind me what your name is? And just that step of actually pursuing someone, admitting that you didn't know their name, but saying, hey, who are you? It's a service of courtesy. Because remember what's at stake here. What's at stake here, you know, this, this cultural norm is just... Like, it's just affirming someone's value and acknowledging their presence, right? So if you're the kind of person who gets really uptight because you're like, well, when they ask me how I am, they don't really want to know how I really am. You just get over yourself and just say, hey, all all that we're doing here is like, acknowledge your presence, affirm your worth. You don't have to have a whole paragraph, you know, for you to feel good about yourself. Okay? A little common courtesy goes a long way. Let's turn New England on its edge by saying hello. Amen. (laughs) Another one, hospitality. God, Lord, help us. Uh, Man, I guess the only thing I'd say here is um, we can be more Marys and Marthas than Marthas on this one. In other words, I think that we have this idea that, oh gosh, if I have to do hospitality, I have to have this amazing bedroom. I have to make sure and serve them three meals a day and all this. Just forget that. Just open your home. Let people be in. And Kelsey and I are trying to grow in this one. We um, are newly married. We have a child and we have a small apartment. We want to grow in this so much. So I feel a little embarrassed trying to lead the church in this. But hey, just let's get hospitable, you know. It gets fun. Where I go on retreat all the time is a Benedictine monastery. And the the Benedictine monks, that's their big thing is, hey, we want to, you know, they have huge guest areas because they want people to be able to come. Gosh, wouldn't that be awesome if that was... You know, our homes were more like that. Like, we want people to come. And I've always been super convicted whenever I'm overseas because the Muslim world really understands this one. So I show up in Algeria. I show up in Morocco. I show up in Tunisia. And people open their homes. They stop what they're doing. And they, you know, put their best foot forward. It's super convicting. As believers, you know, that really should be us. So God have mercy on us. Another service is the service of 
listening. Ooh. <laughs> I have, I'm starting as best I can. Actually, <laughs> the video that John showed two weeks ago, although um, you guys remember John's rifling through the cupboards, and, you know, there's a college student, Jeff Ryan, is pouring out his heart about how his family is falling to pieces, and John is not there, you know? So we laugh at that, and although I'm usually not rifling through cabinets, I can tell you there's times when I'm sitting down looking at person, at someone, but my mind really is elsewhere. And you can tell by all my bodily tics, you know, if I'm shaking my legs and tapping the fingers and all that. I've just, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to slow my body and my soul down so that I can look at someone in the eye and listen to what they're saying and not prepare my next response. That's how you know you're active listening. Stop preparing your next response to what they're saying and just listen until they're done. And don't interrupt. And God have mercy on me. This is another one where I need to get on my face because I have problems. <laughs> I'm trying to change them. So, <clears throat> Cool. A few others. Service of bearing one another's burdens, right? We want to weep when others weep. We want to rejoice when others rejoice. And especially a lot of you here in the helping professions, you can learn from Jesus how to receive other people's stuff, but go with them to the arms of Jesus and not let it bring you down. It's something that we can learn together in the helping professions. And lastly, I'd say there's this service of sharing the word of life. Let me explain this. (laughs) Most of you, many of you, all of you, have a great relationship with Jesus, and you have things that you are communicating to God, and he's communicating to you. And the idea behind this service is the idea of taking the time to unpack for a second what God is doing in your life for the sake of someone else. In other words, when someone does ask, hey, how are you doing? And they, they do mean it, and you have a few minutes, you know, depending on the situation, be able to say, hey, I'm doing well. Here's what's going on in the church right now. And just kind of taking the moment to say, hey, here's what God's doing in my life right now, and I want to share a little bit with you. Because I guarantee that where you're getting life from God, that's going to help someone else. So like when someone does do me the courtesy of sharing with, like when I ask them how they are, like, well, hey, this is kind of what God's doing. It almost always is life-giving or convicting or helpful to me. But I know sometimes it's just annoying. Like on the other end, I can say, sometimes I don't feel like unpacking my life all the time, you know, 10 times during the day, especially and what's the worst is at the end of the day when I get home to Kelsey and then Kelsey wants to hear a little bit about the day and I'm like, okay, yes, I'm going to choose to unpack this because she's my wife and because I want to share with her a word of life and not just say, everything's fine, honey. Um, Can we eat now? You know, that's not life-giving to her. So that's kind of the idea behind sharing the word of life. Like, it's a courtesy. It's a, it's a um, service to <laughs> share what God's doing. Amen? Amen.